and selection process portion of our current Sunday night sermon mini-series on elders. And so tonight, we're going to take a look at what their actual biblical job or role or responsibilities include. Before we get started, just want to remind you that if you haven't already and you want to submit one of our brothers and their wives' name for an elder and his wife, please go ahead and go down through that list of qualifications that was in last week's bulletin. If you have a man and his wife that meet all of those qualifications, please make sure to get those names submitted to the elders before next Sunday evening at this time, before next Sunday evening, February the 21st, which is the cutoff date for such submissions. Also, one other thing before we get started this evening, I'd like to thank uh, Brother D. Freeman for reminding me of something last Sunday night. You will recall that I have said right along that the eldership is the most important, highest office, not office, but highest work in the universe. James A. Garfield was the 20th president of the United States of America. And he was also, prior to that, an elder and a preacher in the church. And his brother Freeman reminded me last week, when Garfield relinquished his position as an elder, he reportedly said, quote, I resigned the highest office in the land to become the President of the United States. And he put it into full perspective. Tonight, as we begin our discussion of the actual work or job description of the highest calling in the universe, on the planet, as it were, which if one desires, scripture says that he desires a noble task or a good work, 1 Timothy 3.1. I'd like for us to understand just how life and death serious in the eyes of God, this work, this role, this responsibility is, and how God will call to account those who undertake the oversight of his people and the sheep of his pasture. It's not just this responsibility that has these accolades that it is the most noble work and highest calling on the planet. There is a reason for that. God has always called to account those who would overtake the, those who would undertake the oversight of his people it's nothing new. We go way back to the book of Ezekiel, and hopefully you're there, and, and look at how God talked to his shepherds and what he required of his shepherds. He held them to the highest account. Ezekiel 34, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Remember, elders are shepherds. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, 
nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep, God says, my sheep, wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, this is what God said when he called his Old Testament shepherds to account. You can see how serious this is. He says, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherd search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and didn't feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. He just said that in verse 7. Now he's bookending verses 7 through 9 with this. He says at the beginning of 7, he says it at the end of the 9. Listen to what God says, verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, there it is a third time, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths that they may no longer be food for them. Now, this chapter continues with a beautiful, beautiful passage, with a beautiful truth. It is a prophetic passage of Jesus to come, and that truth is this. God says, look, I, I'll do it myself. I will come and I will be their shepherd and they will be one flock and I will feed them and I will heal them and I will bind them up. God has this beautiful passage here in Ezekiel chapter 34, beginning at verse 11, where he had called the shepherds to account that weren't doing what they were supposed to, and he said, okay, I'm coming and I'll do it. I'll bind them up. I'll find them. I'll feed them. I'll bring them together. And so again, just having made the point that shepherds are called to a very high standard, but it's nothing new in the New Testament. God's Old Testament shepherds were the same. And so, that having been said, I would like for us to turn to our main theme passage for tonight in the New Testament, which is it begins in Acts chapter 20. If you would turn there, please. Our text for the evening, Acts chapter 20, 28 through 30. When it comes to the New Testament and the specific work of being an elder, a shepherd, an overseer, a bishop, all of those being the same work. We see that there's some instruction here that has to do with the elders' roles and responsibility. In verse 28, as Paul is meeting with the Ephesian elders, he says this. He says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. <clears throat> I have a number of quotes that I'll be reading tonight that come from brothers Stan Mitchell and Glenn Colley 
as written in the April 2013 edition of The Spiritual Sword regarding this text. In introducing this text, Brother Stan Mitchell wrote this. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38, describes Paul's tender farewell to the elders at Ephesus. Can you imagine these men gathered in the port city of Miletus, the creaking of the ship's rigging, the cry of the seagulls, and this group of Christian men oblivious to everything except the words of the great apostle. This is a rich passage expressing four vital facts about elders, and that's what we're going to do tonight is discuss those four vital facts from Acts chapter 20, mainly verse 28. The first thing we see of those four is this, that shepherds are to take heed to themselves. That's first, foremost, top priority. They are to take heed to themselves. Other translations say to the elders, keep watch over yourselves. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Be on guard for yourselves. Depending on your translation, you will probably find one of those phrases. Brother Glenn Colley wrote one article later in that same edition of The Spiritual Sword about a question that, that might come to our mind as, as we read verse 28 and the very first thing that said is, take heed to yourselves. Brother Colley wrote, it seems significant in view of the various problems these elders would soon face that Paul would begin with this warning or begin this warning with, take heed to yourselves. After all, they were already judged to be worthy of the office of an overseer. They're already elders. They've already met the qualifications. They've already been appointed to that work. These are men who, who meet all those qualifications that we talked about. Brother Colley says, why this personal reminder about their own character, about looking in the mirror, and why did he say it first? Good question. You wouldn't think that would necessarily be number one on the list. But in seeking to answer that question, we must understand the intensity or the forcefulness of this phrase, take heed or pay careful attention. In the original, this is a very forceful phrase. It's not, well, you know, be careful. It is watch out, beware, pay attention. It's very strong, it's very forceful. Brother Colley would tell us that this phrase, take heed, as it appears in the New King James and the King James, this phrase, take heed, occurs 64 times in the King James Version. 64 times, take heed, take heed, take heed. Brother Colley reminds us, Jesus often said it. He wants me to pay attention to myself or take heed to myself when I'm doing good for others. Matthew 6, verse 1. When I'm around younger Christians, Matthew 18, in verse 10. When I hear a gospel sermon, Luke 8, verse 18. Jesus wants me to pay attention to myself or take heed when I consider material things and their importance. 
to me in my life. Luke 12, verse 15. Jesus wants me to take heed or pay attention when somebody wrongs me and I am asked to forgive. Luke 17 and verse 3. It's also what the Apostle Paul urged us to do when we disagree with our brethren. Galatians 5 and verse 15. In all of those places we are told, take heed, be careful, pay attention. This is important. And yes, elders must first, according to our text, continually pay attention to or take heed to themselves. Because if they cannot take care of themselves spiritually, they cannot take care of the flock of God spiritually. Just like the, the qualification for children, for if a man cannot control his own household, how can he take care of the household of God? Same thing. Brother Colley said this, more damage is often done when a preacher or elder goes astray than when any other church members do so. That's true. That's true. Christians need to have confidence in their leaders. God will not allow a man to rule well if he will not submit well. God will not bless the work of men who are not sincerely practicing what they preach. An elder will either view himself as a servant or he will never be a true and great leader. A church will rarely rise above her leaders. All of those nuggets of wisdom from Brother Colley are so needed and so true when it comes to the roles and responsibilities of elders. He continues with this, the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are a protective measure of God for his precious church, ensuring that only men who are faithful will bear the name overseer. Yet each elder must constantly and individually hold himself accountable to these specifications. Do you begin to see why he put this first? Makes sense, right? So, how does an elder do that? Well, Brother Mitchell said it has to do with how each elder fills his own bucket. I read that, I thought, say what? How each church leader fills his own bucket. And by the way, just as a little brief aside before I, I explain that further, this goes for church leaders' wives as well that they need to fill their buckets too. Because you see, when you have an elder and his wife, you have a deacon and his wife, you have a preacher and his wife, you don't just have the, the man. It's a team you have. You have two people, you have a husband and a wife, and, and they need to fill their biblical roles. I'm not saying that they shouldn't, they, they absolutely do. But you're not getting one, there's a reason that, that God requires that a man be married, to have that helpmate. And so, she is a church leader in the sense of helping to lead the ladies, but, but what he's about to say about filling their own bucket goes for their wives too. 
Wives often have to watch their church leader husbands, no matter elder, deacon, or whatever, they often have to watch their husbands work and sacrifice, spend time, give so much of themselves continually, continually. And ask, if you don't believe I'm telling you the truth, ask any elder's wife, okay? And she watches this man give of himself and give of himself and give of himself and give of himself and put himself out there and work hard and try to take care of people and all these things only to see him constantly scorned, berated, and ridiculed by the very ones that he's trying to help get to heaven. Sort of like, <clears throat> sort of like David was talking about in his Devo there with the, with the cow. All he's trying to do is help it into the chute, and the cow kicks the gate and comes back and catches him and breaks a few of his teeth, right? Just trying to, to move it to get it to where it needs to be. And so wives, fit in here too. He says, church leaders need to fill their own bucket. Church leaders are nicked and dinged by a thousand complaints, torn by concerns legitimate and those not so legitimate, visiting, shepherding, and teaching. The bucket eventually goes dry. Those who constantly give all the time, if they are not getting stuff given back to them, are going to get empty. We might call it burnout. He says their bucket eventually goes dry. It can be filled, of course, by thoughtful members who remember to express gratitude and who care about their elders' welfare. But elders, like preachers, need to develop survival mechanisms. Like the Lord, they may need to leave for a quiet place where they can recharge, Mark 1.35. Elders' retreats, lectureships, and other methods will have to be utilized. Elders, take heed to yourselves. Number two, second phrase in Acts 20 and verse 28 shows us that they need to not only take heed to themselves but to all the flock. You mean... They need to be as concerned and as, as loving and as sacrificial to each member. They are to be and show the same kind of selfless love and concern to the grouchy and the wayward and the rebellious and the obstinate and the critical and the constantly fault-finding as they do to the kind and loving, the humble and obedient, the faithful and supportive. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It says, take heed to yourselves and to what? All the flock. Do we agree that all in the flock are not always as kind, humble, and submissive as some of the others? They are to show the same kind of love to the critical and rebellious as they do to the faithful and supportive. Uh-huh. Aren't we all supposed to do that? Aren't all of us as Christians supposed to do that? To show the same kind of love and concern for those that are not so faithful and supportive all the time as those that are? Uh-huh. Matthew 5. 38 through 48, Romans 12, 14 through 21, 1 Corinthians 12, 
15 through 26, yeah, all of us are supposed to do that. It's not just elders, but it's elders too. Brother Mitchell said they must manifest deep concern for every member's emotional and spiritual state. This is why the task of feeding the widows, Acts 6, 1 through 7, along with deciding what color to paint the classrooms and where to buy the grape juice should be left to others. The elders are to deal with the most important resource in the church, and that is the souls of her members. And I'm going to say right here that I think this is one of the downfalls of a lot of, of the church today, is that in a lot of instances, an eldership becomes more like a board of directors that is more concerned with where the grape juice is bought and how much was paid for it and the finances and the shape of the building and all of these different physical things. That's not the, what we see the elders role as being the elders role yes they are to oversee those decisions and the money that's spent yes they are to oversee that but the nuts and bolts of it all as we'll cover more next week with the deacons out of Acts 6 1 through follow one and following the nuts and bolts of the physical everyday getting the labor done stuff is more deacon work the shepherds are to oversee that but their main concern is that they need to deal with the spiritual health and well-being of the sheep. They need to deal with the souls. They need to deal with, with the teaching, like we see the apostles doing. It's, their role is to spiritually care and care for the spiritual concerns more than the physical, although they are to oversee those as well. Brother Mitchell continues, they are to care for new Christians, watch out for the divisive brother, Identify and develop leadership for the next generation and watch for attacks on the flock. Thirdly, Acts 20 and verse 28 tells us that, yeah, they're to take heed to themselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. Among which, that's our third phrase, that's a key phrase, among which. You see, elders, shepherds, are to be among the flock. Acts 20, verse 28. Not only are they to take heed to themselves and to all the flock among which they are, but the flock must be among them as well. 1 Peter 5, 2. In other words, elders must know their sheep. They must be amongst them and have the sheep amongst them. They are to know their sheep, and their sheep must know them. Turn to me to the Gospel according to John chapter 10. We learn a lot about shepherding from the great shepherd. And I realize that the, the context of John chapter 10 is Jesus the great shepherd, but again, we learn a lot about shepherding and eldering and caring for the sheep from this very text. In John 10, speaking of how they must be among the sheep and the sheep must be among them and they must know each other. John 10, one through five, Jesus said this. Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Now, you gotta understand what he's talking about. In those days and times, it was a very common practice that shepherds would take their sheep during the day up to the higher elevations to feed on the greener grass. And then at night, what would happen on a regular basis, a, a common practice, was for the shepherd to lead the sheep 
back down into the valleys where the town was, and there would be like a stone enclosure there. And this shepherd would bring his sheep and put them in there, and all these other shepherds that were around in the surrounding area that had fed their sheep up in the mountains all day or up in the higher elevations, they'd put all their sheep in this one big sheepfold, this one big rock-enclosed area, pasture, if you will, but it was all enclosed to protect the sheep at night during the dark. Now, of course, there were some that stayed out there with the sheep all night long, but this was a common practice as well. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He said, look, there's this enclosure, and all these different herds of sheep from all these different shepherds are all in there milling together. And he says, there's, there's this door and the doorkeeper. And he said, if somebody comes on the back side of this stone wall or this pasture or this enclosure and climbs up and tries to take the sheep, he said, that guy's a thief. He's a robber. That's, that's not the way the shepherd does it. Well, Jesus, how does the shepherd do it? Verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So you get the picture in the morning of, of the shepherd coming out here, and he says to the gatekeeper, he says, open the door. The gatekeeper does. And so the shepherd stands there, and he calls his sheep. And you got, again, you got all these different shepherd sheep in there. But, but when his sheep hear his voice, they make their way toward him because they're used to the fact that he's going to lead them to greener pastures. Psalm 23. He's going to lead them to a place of plenty. And so his sheep know him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. As he calls them, here they come. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee for him, for they don't know the voice of a stranger. The concept here that we see is, is that these sheep know their shepherd, and the shepherd knows his own sheep. And this permeates John chapter 10. Look at verse 14. See the idea again. Verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own. And again, there's that familiarity. And we see it one more time in, in the same chapter in verses 27 and 8. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Jesus said, those sheep who know my voice, who will only follow me, if they continue to follow me and only heed my voice, he said, nothing can take them away from the Father. Doesn't mean you can't fall from grace, because you can if you stop listening to the voice of Jesus. But do we all understand that if we continue to listen to and follow the voice of the Savior, nothing, nothing can take us away from him, as long as we do that. As Brother Mitchell said, part of, the, part of shepherding the church is getting to know the sheep. An elder knows the members because he spends time with them. He visits them or has them in his home. His contact with them extends to places outside of the church foyer and at times other than the regular worship times. Thus, he hears their voices and understands their needs. Moving on in Acts 20 and verse 28, it says, among which, which we just covered, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Again, very briefly, because we've touched on it before, how does the Holy Spirit make men overseers? The Holy Spirit makes men overseers this way. Men are converted to Christ. 
they begin, they have a hunger for God, they hunger and thirst for righteousness, and so they start looking in the Bible, and they see what the Holy Spirit has had written down for us. Every word of God is divinely inspired or God-breathed. Men spoke, Peter tells us, as they were driven along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had the scriptures written down word for word as these men were inspired. And so the men who wrote it were inspired. And so a man is converted, and he begins to see that he needs to be more loving, peaceful, patient, kind. And, and, and the Holy Spirit is leading the man in the sense that as he reads the scriptures that the Holy Spirit had written down, he humbles himself, continues to put the old man of sin to death, puts the old habits to death, and begins following Jesus even closer. And as he does that, and he develops those qualities that we have talked about for weeks in this series, eventually what we do is we put on the glasses of Scripture that the Holy Spirit provided, and we say that man meets this and this and this and this and this and this and this, and his wife meets this and this and this. Yes, through the glasses of Scripture that the Holy Spirit had laid down, that man is one that God has chosen to be an elder. That is how the Holy Spirit makes them overseers. And we have talked about that. So fourthly, Acts 20 and verse 28 tells us exactly why they are to so seriously, selflessly, and completely take heed to themselves and to all the flock amongst which God has made them overseers. Here's the reason. To shepherd. The reason is to shepherd. It's not simply so they can be called a shepherd, but to shepherd. You see, elder is not a title to be obtained. It is a work to be done. It is not an office to be held, but a labor of love and sacrifice to the Lord. So what exactly do they do? Well. As we've already touched upon from Ezekiel chapter 34, what elders do, what shepherds do, is that they feed the flock. They tend the flock. They heal the wounds. They strengthen the sheep. They bind them up when they are scarred and battered. They search out, seek for, and bring back those who have wandered off because the grass is greener on the other side, as it were. They guard the sheep. They guide the sheep. They direct the sheep. And as I think of guiding, guarding, and directing, a shepherd, a shepherd, did not stand back behind the sheep and say, come on guys, let's move. That's not the way they led. Shepherds lead. How do they lead? They get out front with their rod and their staff and they led the procession. Remember, and it says, and my sheep follow me, not I follow my sheep driving them along. Shepherds don't drive. The sheep along from behind. They lead the way by example. They guide, they guard, they direct and they protect and watch over the sheep from all harm. If you want to learn a lot about what a shepherd does, about the roles and responsibility, a lot of text that I don't have time to cover, you need to review some of the absolutely beautiful passages, such as the 23rd Psalm. You want, you want to see what a shepherd's supposed to do? 23rd Psalm. Or 1 Samuel chapter 17, 
verses 33 through 38, where David talks about when the wolf or, or when the bear came, the bear and the lion. When the bear and the lion came against the sheep, what he did. That's what good shepherds do. And of course, John chapter 10, verses 7 through 29. And as you read all of those, keep in mind the protection of the flock, and you'll see what elders' job, what an elder's job, what their role, responsibility, what their work is all about. Shepherds are the absolute last line of defense for helpless sheep. They're the last line of defense. They're the thing that is standing with the sheep when danger lurks nearby or even when it comes from within the flock itself. When danger from within the flock itself frightens the sheep into a frenzied panic. You know what animals do when they panic? What do they do? When animals begin to panic and they're all running around and there's chaos and, and they divide and they separate, and if you watch any of these nature shows, that's what the predators try to get a flock to do or a herd to do. If they can get them running, if they can get them running scared, if they can get them scattered, if they can cause fear and chaos and confusion and they're running all different directions, then it's easier to take them down. It's what wolves do. And in fact, if we look back here in Acts chapter 20, that's exactly what's coming to the church in Ephesus. Acts chapter 20. We're focusing on, verses, on verse 28, but I also read further than that. Paul says in verse 29, savage wolves are coming. They're coming from among you. They're coming in among you, I'm sorry, and from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things. So he said you're going to have predatorial practices coming from both outside of the flock and within the flock. And the elders need to stand with the flock, out front of the flock, last line of defense. When anything threatens to divide, separate, overcome the flock, and take them down one by one and devour them. As I said, that's the problem here that Paul says is coming to these elders. When danger of any kind seeks to divide, devour, and destroy, those whom God's shepherds have been given the awesome responsibility of protecting, it is then that the true and faithful shepherd of God will dig in, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, set the right example, 1 Peter 5, 3, and even put his own life on the line, John 10, 11 through 15, in order to defend, protect, stay with and comfort the flock. Look at with me back in John 10 for a moment and you will see this. Beginning at verse 11, you see this, this idea that I just portrayed to you here. Jesus said in John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He doesn't run. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. Just what we we're talking about. Now, I realize that shepherds shepherd a flock in the church that they didn't buy that's not theirs. It's God's flock. But if we look at verse 13, he ties it in. He says, the hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. So the one who runs is the one who doesn't care about the sheep. He's more concerned with himself. It's not just that he doesn't own the sheep, but he goes on to further define that the one who flees is the one who doesn't care. 
Shepherds who care don't flee when danger threatens the flock. I am the good shepherd, I know the sheep, and am known by my own. Putting all of this together, one of the things that I want to say is this, we are so blessed with the shepherds that we have in this congregation. We are so incredibly blessed. Throughout this very trying time, these unprecedented times of chaos and confusion and everybody seeking maybe to, to maybe not be as tightly packed and as close as, as we once were because we're, we're scared and we're here and we're there and we're scattered and we're all these different places. Our elders have maintained their vigil with the sheep. Unless they were sick themselves or some immediate thing came up that they absolutely had to do throughout all of this COVID stuff, they've been right here in this building. They've been right here with the rest of us, with those of us who could be here. One of the, and I'm gonna say this, and I'm just gonna say it. One of the sweetest things that I will always remember about this congregation, no matter what, is all of those times during this whole crisis, pandemic, whatever you want to call it, is watching one of our elders whose immune system is not that good, and I'm putting that very, very conservatively, but to watch him at his age come down this aisle and sit over here with his wife, and here he is. They're in services. He's got his mask on. Every time I say turn to a passage, he's sitting there with his mask on, turning the page. At his age, with his immune system, with his health issues, he's, he's here with the flock. He's setting the example. He's, he's not running until he's sick and can't be here. That's an example that encourages me. That's our leaders. And our leaders have faced so much during this pandemic. But they're right there with the flock. Why do God's shepherds go to such great lengths to defend, protect, set the right example and stay with the flock at all cost and even at the potential expense of their own health and maybe even lives? Why do they do it? Why, why do they do it? It's not like we're paying them enough to do it. Why do they do it? One reason. They do it because they understand that they are shepherding the flock of God which he purchased with his own blood. They understand that the God and creator of the universe has given them the oversight and responsibility to protect his blood-bought flock till he returns for it. That's why they do it. They do it out of gratitude to God. They do it when they realize his, because they realize his sacrifice. And they do it because they realize the flock isn't theirs. 
And what, a, what, a, what an incredibly, infinitely high price God paid for those over whom he has entrusted their protection to. Tonight, are you a part of that blood-bought group or church or flock that God gave his son's priceless blood for? Are you a part of that flock that God allows to be guided and nurtured and protected by his faithful shepherds, which he has made clear are his faithful shepherds here in Shoto Hills or anywhere else. If you are not a member of that flock and you would be washed in the blood of Christ, we invite you to let us know that so we can help you either to study or baptize you into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Again, a reminder of the incredible role that our newly appointed elders in, in a few weeks will be taking on. And a reminder that we only have one more week to submit those names. And lastly, a prayer for our current elders for those who would be our new elders, would be a wonderful thing. We need to encourage them all we can. If you have a need tonight, we please come to the front as we stand and sing.